Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode of Chillin' in the State House, your favorite and most chill and award-winning podcast in Kansas government and politics. I'm Jason Alatid. Used to be one half of your State House Capital Journal uh, podcast team, but our dearly departed. Not, well, don't not make him death, sa- yeah, don't but, make him sound uh, dead. <laughs> but it, this is now our first podcast since Andrew Ball went back our po- home our, our to post Andrew, first post Andrew podcast. And, and those that that dulcet tone of John Hanna. Yes, of the Associated Press. And you are here recording on your day off. After well, doing some painting. Yes, and I've got paint splotches on my, my T-shirt, and it's one of my paint shirts. So that, that orange could almost fit in with going out hunting right now. Yes, yes, but not turkey hunting. That's, or prairie chickens. Or prairie chickens. So. Well, so, you know. We've had a busy couple of weeks. And really a couple of months since our last podcast. Uh, I know I had a vacation in there. Uh and to get our obligatory Disney reference out of the way, it was a Disney cruise, and there were there were some live action theater on there, John, that I know you would have appreciated. Well, that's that sounds terrific. Yeah, if you ever have a reason to go on a Disney cruise as a single man in your uh, older than me years, but it's very I get, enjoyable. I, I get seasick easily, though. Uh, well, cruises don't rock that much. Okay. Uh, but highly enjoyable, highly recommend. Uh, but, you know, it, back in Kansas, lots has happened. Uh, and the, uh, the big story, of course. Yeah, is- and, and the, the, especially the big story, you know, for Topeka media, uh, maybe not quite as much for Kansas City or Wichita or elsewhere in the state was a child death that happened. Uh, Zoe Felix, uh, who was five years old, was allegedly raped and killed by uh, an acquaintance of hers. And she had recently become homeless uh, before her death. Living in a grove of trees on a on a vacant lot with her father and her older uh, teenage sister. And John, for, for our listeners who either live in 
Topeka or visit here. Whereabouts in the city was this? This is on this is on the east side of Topeka. The lot itself was at 28th and California. It's a little bit back there. If you go down there, it's a commercial area, but this is a vacant wooded lot. And so it's behind, uh, there's a, a BP station on one side and a Chipotle on the other. And then a little ways back is this lot. It's, it's kind of in the general vicinity of uh, Highland Park High School. And um, it is maybe five or six blocks south of where Zoe Felix's mother was living. And I, John, part, there, there's been plenty of outrage to go around, uh, but part of the outrage has been directed at the Department for Children and Families. Yes. And uh, some of the outrage is centered around, we don't know what DCF did. And even if we did know what DCF did, there would be people who think it wasn't enough. I mean, yes. clearly a child died. So people will say not enough was done. Right, right. That is a question. Um, her, Zoe Felix's, at least the last year plus of her life, a lot of, was surrounded by a lot of turbulence. Um, her, her parents' marriage was clearly on the rocks. Um, the, a lot of tension there, and she was, you know, especially the, the last couple of months, she was bouncing around from house to house. There was an incident in November of 2022 when, when her mother got into a car crash and was initially charged with a whole series of things, um, including child and felony child endangerment and driving under the influence. Um, what we were able to piece together from records, various accounts, is that uh, it, she was uh, driving under the influence and Zoe was in the car with her as uh, along with an open container, according to the police reports. Um, the father, in, in asking for a, a protection from abuse order a little later, said that uh, she was not in a car seat, she was in the front seat. And so that the mother went to jail for four months, and so at in November of when that case sprung up, uh, a judge a judge noted that the case had been referred to DCF, and then um, a, a paraprofessional in a in a preschool where that she was attending uh, kind of sporadically said that that there were at least two meetings with uh, child welfare workers. And John, I mean, you did a deep dive into the court records for this. I, I know Tim Wrencher here at the Cap Journal also well, and, did. Well, and, and, and this family, the, the the police, over the course of about two years, I think they were called to the home where the mother lived uh, about two dozen times, all kinds of uh, calls. Uh, there were, she was uh, arrested and charged a couple of times with, a domestic battery uh, in July of 2022, there was an incident and that involved her husband. And then the following month, her teenage daughter, those cases were still pending when we had this other bigger felony case. Uh, there was a plea agreement in, in March of this year and she, um, she got probation, I think 18 months probation, probation, if I'm remembering correctly. 
and was released from jail, and her husband had a protection from abuse order against her where she was not supposed to have any contact with him or the daughter, um, and uh, that was to last through late late December of this year, but he went back to the house and apparently was living there for a little while along with the, at one point, this this uh, 25-year-old homeless man, uh, Michael Cherry, who is now charged with capital murder uh, and, and rape and first-degree murder as a sort of a backstop uh, charge. Um, and the DA, uh, Michael Kage, uh, isn't, says he would be open to charges against other people, but the police are, and the police say the matter is still under investigation. We have no idea whether anybody else will be charged with anything. And I mean, the court system, at least the online system, is not currently accessible because of a network security issue. But as of when we were last able to check, there had not been any, any updates in that old case against the mother. So we don't know if there had been any actions taken regarding her probation or not. Yeah. And it just, it's, it's you know, the, you talk to the neighbors and, and there, there was a protest here uh, a little more than a week ago. It was uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before that. So there are a lot of questions about what DCF knew about this family and why, why she was still, she was not in, why she was not in foster care, basically. And and we're waiting. You know, we we're waiting to see what DCF can tell us about what they knew. Also, well, John, you, you said the judge. Referred the case to DCF. Yes. Police said they have referred the case to DCF. Uh, the Topeka 501 School District has indicated that it may have, uh, but they, they didn't and, explicitly and, say that they did. And the neighbors, and the, neighbors, the neighbors very clearly said they called the child welfare and, people. And we are in a position where DCF cannot legally comment as of now. Yeah. Uh, under state law, uh, if a child dies but is not in DCF custody, then DCF can – well, it is required to release a summary once the agency has determined that child abuse or neglect resulted in the death. And it, it can be a lengthy process for DCF to determine that. I don't know why it is a lengthy process, and maybe, John, you have a better idea, but it is not as simple as what it would seem to us. Well, we don't, for example, there are a lot of details that the police have not confirmed. Um, I mean, police haven't even told us how she died. Right, and and she clearly for at least a couple of uh, weeks she was living outside. It appears in a tent in this grove of trees, uh, the 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 site the campsite is now gone. The city cleared it away last week for what they said was sanitary reasons, um, and you know it's it. What we do know is her body was she was brought unresponsive to uh, a gas station, a Dylan's fuel station. Her father worked there, um, and it, it's not clear who actually brought her 
her to the fuel station. This was about a little before 6 p.m. on October the 2nd. Uh, basically, paramedics were trying to revive her. It, it, they were unsuccessful. Um, the 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 defendant in the capital murder case, the the teenage sister, were there uh, along with other people, other witnesses, and so you know, there's not a lot of information, as you say, about when and how she died. But the larger the larger question for our listeners, since this is chilling in the state house. The, the question is, of course, what, what did DCF know and when did it know it? What did it do? What could it have done uh, if, you know, not to presuppose that, but uh, a, lot of dis- a lot of outrage is focused on the state right now. And a small subsect of lawmakers have gotten some information. Yeah. The law allows uh, the... Child Welfare Oversight Committee uh, to get information in executive session. And there is a provision that the lawmakers in that executive session cannot share what they find or else they could be censured. Yeah. Uh, and the committee did find, did hear from DCF Secretary Laura Howard, I think, two days after yeah, and Zoe's she, death. She could not say very much. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we will be getting this summary. The summary uh, should tell us more information on the reports to DCF and how DCF responded. But I also don't want to play up how much we will find out from this because historically these summaries have not provided all that much detail. Well, and, and you know, we're – all of us, I, I think both the Capital Journal and we have, of course, have asked to see – have asked for the release of the probable cause affidavit, which would, which would, of course, tell us more. It's not clear that that's – we've been waiting. It's not clear that that's going to be released. So we might – for a lot of details, we might have to wait at to see the, the capital murder case proceed. And there is also a way for the full DCF reports to become public records. But there's also a way for them to be redacted or sealed, and one of those is for a criminal prosecution. So the defendant in that case, or the prosecutors in that case, or DCF, could ask a court to close those records so it is unclear how and when we will find out exactly what DCF knew, when it knew it, and what it did. Yeah. Well, and 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 obviously, you know, this has been the, the as we both know, this has been an issue uh, that has come up before. Uh, most notably, most horribly, there was the the case of the little boy in Kansas City, Kansas. I think he was about six. He was he was basically tortured and killed, and then the, his then his body was fed to pigs on a uh, in, on a remote location, and that I think was 2015. And I believe that case was what led to the creation of this way for records to become public yeah. in the first place. Uh, and then there was a case uh, in 2020, I believe. Uh, that prompted DCF Secretary Laura Howard to go to the legislature and try to uh, make a ch- make a tweak to the way it was set up. And had the legislature passed her bill, uh, which would have been, was in the 2021 session, DCF could already release 
the uh, summary of records on Zoe. Uh, essentially, we, we had mentioned how DCF first must determine that the child died as a result of abuse or neglect. Uh, the bill would have said, if criminal charges are filed, then the records can be released, regardless of whether DCF has determined abuse or neglect. So in Zoe's case, the DA filed that capital murder charge, I believe, three days after she died. Yeah. Uh, and now we are sitting here almost two weeks to the day, I believe. Yes, since it Zoe's is two death. weeks to the day, yes. And it just... And, and I mean, by the time you are listening to this podcast, maybe DCF will have released that summary. Maybe they won't have. We we don't know how long it will take. Yeah, it's just and and you know going through these records and 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 reading, you know these reports and the court filings and the police reports and it's just it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, there's there's no other word for it. And um, I, as heartbreaking it is as it is for you, the listener, for us, the reporters, I'm sure it's, it is oh, it's just as heartbreaking, if not times way worse. worse for the first responders and the social workers. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sure they want answers too. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and there's a, the, again, we've seen protests and there's now a, a justice for Zoe group out there protesting and, and asking questions. Um, because this, because this just shocked people, um, and uh, and, I, and of course it should. And John, one one area, uh, another area we've kind of touched on that is of state government interest is that capital murder charge. It would allow the DA to pursue the death penalty. Yes. He hasn't decided if he will or won't, and he doesn't have to decide until after the preliminary hearing, right. which hasn't been scheduled yet. Yeah. Uh, but Kansas has had the death penalty on the books since the 90s. Right. After the, it was this current, yeah, it was reinstated. Of course, all state death penalty laws were struck down in, I think, 1972, if I'm remembering correctly. The and then they were reinstated. You could, you, with, you could rewrite your laws, and the, the U.S. Supreme Court started allowing executions again. I think it was 1976. Kansas tried, supporters of the death penalty tried for years and years and years, almost 20, actually probably about 20 years. And they, they finally managed to reinstate a fairly narrow death penalty law in 1994. And uh, it has not, We've not had an uh, an execution in by the state in Kansas since 1965. Two serial killers, interstate serial killers, Latham and York, were the last ones. They were hanged at the Kansas State Penitentiary. That was the method of execution hanging. Um, they went a month after the uh, the the Hickok and Smith, who are of course famous for the uh, because their killings and out by Holcomb out west of Garden City were memorialized uh, by Truman Capote and In Cold Blood. A lot of debate over how accurate In Cold Blood is, but a very famous case. And um, so, so we have roughly a dozen or so people on the mm -hmm. proverbial death row. 
Uh, we have a lethal injection chamber at Lansing uh, that has gone unused. Yeah. And uh, it's unclear if Michael Cherry would I of course he's presumed innocent. Right. Uh, we don't we haven't seen the uh, we obviously beyond his arrest and the fact that he's been charged we haven't seen any elements of the case against him yeah. what what is alleged. Um we, we do know he's being defended by the public defenders on the death penalty unit. Uh that I I didn't have the accurate name of that unit but uh, it's but, but, it, but, yeah it's basically the, the the folks who do death penalty defense uh, at the and, trial level and uh, I we don't know if he'll be convicted if he'll if the DA will pursue the death penalty if he will get that as a sentence but he join if that were to happen he would join a list of people who have not been executed by the state. Right. And and a couple of them, uh, at least the the one that comes to mind is uh, the, the... The Carr brothers. In the Wichita. Carr brothers, but also the, the anti-Semitic uh, shooter in the Kansas City area who uh, at the Jewish Community Center in, in Johnson County, he actually died in prison while his appeals were still pending. And I... Is there a way for the governor to say to the Department of Corrections not to carry out the death penalty? I mean, Governor Kelly has spoken against the death penalty, but I think her stance has been more so from the cost of all the appeals. It tends to be more costly than a well, life in prison sentence. In, in, in other states, the governors have commuted death sentences to life in prison and certainly – you know the governor could do that, um, but I don't. I'm not sure a governor has even gotten a death warrant to set a date of an execution yet. Um, and you know there are there are several cases. Uh, the Carr brothers you mentioned from Wichita, John Robinson, uh, a serial killer from uh, a convicted serial killer, should say from the, the Kansas City area, their cases have been through the first round of appeals. Um, so it's hard to say how much longer, but, you know, the first case was uh, in the mid-90s was Gary, Gary Wayne Klapas, who was convicted of, of killing a, a student at, uh, I think, Pittsburgh State University, and he's still thirty, almost thirty years on, still on uh, this proverbial death row. There's not actually a physical death row. Well, uh, so we'll we'll move on from. I guess we move on from this terrible homicide in or uh, alleged uh, oh, capital oh. case in Topeka. Um, the other thing that has been happening while Andrew, uh, the transition after Andrew, uh, is the the. The Kansas newspaper raid, the Marion County record, was raided on August 11th, and uh, that is still under investigation by the KBI, but the police chief, Gideon Cody, in Marion has resigned. Um, he was suspended uh, initially, and then three days later, he abruptly resigned. Uh, it's been so long that now I think... Andrew might have been here when uh, the raid happened, but 
Yes. It might have been around his last week or two here. It, it uh, occurred on August 11th. Uh, the police chief and pretty much uh, the entire police force, it's a very small police force, plus a couple of sheriff's officers and an officer from the state fire marshal who was asked to help, uh, raided the offices of the Marion County Record and the publisher and editor's home. He lived there with his 98-year-old mother who died the next day, uh, the publisher thinks from the stress of the raid, and then also a city council member's home was was raided. Um, they were taking away cell phones, computers, electronic equipment. The allegation was uh, uh, identity theft and computer crimes involving a local restaurant owner um, and the circulation of her, her driving record. She did not have a driver's license because of a, a DUI offense well in her past. Uh, she now has her driver's license reinstated, by the way. Um, and so th- those raids occurred, of course, uh, international attention and, and a lot of condemnation of this tactic, questions about whether it was legal. The uh, police chief and insisted it was legal and and the KBI took over the investigation. As a matter of fact, um, they, they, the KBI, uh, at least an agent in Wichita and that agent's supervisor, knew of the plans to, to raid, um, according to all the, the records we've seen from that through, through open records requests. Um, and what kind of happened was the restaurant owner later told, uh, I think KSHB TV was the first one she told this to, that the police chief, they'd been communicating back and forth by text, and he asked her to delete text messages. This was several weeks after the raid, and uh, the way she put it was, I foolishly did it. Um, and he, the, the argument he made to her, she says, was that he didn't want, this was a professional platonic relationship and he didn't want people to get the wrong idea. She also claims that he was writing a book about the whole thing. And Marion is where my first paid professional postgraduate journalism job was. Yes. Yes, um, and it's about about it's. I I know I know the mileage from Kansas City about 150 miles, 241 kilometers southwest of the uh, Kansas City, about as the crow flies. I know the kilometers because we we convert miles to kilometers in our stories, big international stories, anyway. Um, but that that is so we're still waiting to see what the KBI has to say about all of this and, and, and see what courts and everybody else. Well, well, former, one former, now former reporter, Marion County Record reporter Deb Groover filed a, a lawsuit against the, the now ex chief and he filed a response. So we're waiting to see how that plays out. And there may be other lawsuits. The paper has promised one. And uh, thinking of federal lawsuits, if you have followed Capital Journal coverage, as I hope you do, of the natural gas case, 
the the price gouging case stemming from the February 2021 winter storm. Right, that was a deal where the the cost of gas skyrocketed in theory because demand was so high and a bunch of cities and other uh, utilities just got stuck with a bill that is now being passed on to customers. Yeah, demand was higher from the winter storm while supply was lower from the winter storm. Uh, I am not a natural gas economist. I can't ascribe whether price gouging occurred or not, but we did have a federal lawsuit that was aiming to uh, say that Macquarie Energy, uh, a subsidiary of an Australian company, uh, was contributing to yeah there were the, basically the allegations is they were contributing to the price spikes in a way that violated consumer protection laws am i generally yeah yeah okay uh, uh, and this we, this we, one we, has a history to it that you've written about quite a bit kind of walk us through yeah it. so the I mean, so of of course the winter storm happened while. Former Attorney General Derek Schmidt was still Attorney General. Uh, he started investigating. Uh, eventually, he uh, put out an RFP for an outside law firm to come in and assist the AG's office because basically the state lacked the expertise and resources for such an extensive investigation into the comp the com- the com- complexities of the natural gas marketplace. Yeah. Um, we eventually brought on Morgan and Morgan, a law firm based out of Jacksonville, Florida, a very large national law firm. Uh, when, when I was on my uh, cruise while waiting at the hotel in Miami, I actually saw ads for Morgan and Morgan on TV uh, at the coffee shop. So I uh, couldn't escape work entirely on vacation. And Morgan and Morgan came in, was assisting the state, helped the state file a lawsuit to try to enforce subpoenas against Macquarie. Uh, that lawsuit in Shawnee County District Court was still pending uh, as of the last time I was able to check in our currently inaccessible online court system. Why this is, it, as an aside, it's like a throwback to the start of my career in the mid-80s. And... Uh, after the election, uh, Chris Kobach came into office. One of the early things that he did and something that he touted during his first 100 days press conference was filing this lawsuit against Macquarie. Uh, the lawsuit was in Shawnee County District Court, but Macquarie had it removed to federal court. Uh their lawyer was former Kansas Solicitor General and former U.S. Attorney for Kansas, uh, Stephen McAllister. Former uh, clerk for Clarence Thomas, by the way, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And shortly after the case was filed, I, I think a few weeks, that was when uh, Chris Kobach sent, well, had Department of Administration send a notice to Morgan & Morgan that their contract was being terminated. Uh, there has been there have been competing allegations of whether it was for political reasons or performance reasons, and you can read the coverage and make your own decision on that. But uh, after firing our outside counsel, the state needed 
delays from court. It asking the judge for extensions to the filing deadlines because our in-house attorneys lack the expertise to respond within those time frames. Uh, and finally, just uh, earlier this month, we got a ruling from the judge on a motion to dismiss. And the judge essentially said that a technicality, uh, that because of a technicality, he was tossing the case. Uh, it goes back to when the AG's office first filed the case in Shawnee County District Court. Uh, it lacked a necessary piece of establishing jurisdiction. And because the case was removed to federal court uh, without there being jurisdiction for the case, the federal court, because of a federal court doctrine, couldn't take Gen Generally, federal courts will follow this in a civil case. The federal courts will follow the civil law in the state where where the dispute originates. And there have been plenty of times where a federal court has filed, has sent a question in a civil lawsuit to, say, the Kansas Supreme Court saying, what is the state of the law in, in Kansas on this issue. So, well, talk about how that happened because, you know, there's some people off to the side, of course, criticizing Kobach and his office and suggesting this is, however you want to put it, not great lawyering. What, what, is, what, what does Kobach's office say about that? Well, they, they say that it was the outside counsel's fault. Uh, and, I mean, the, the outside counsel was never... Uh, attorneys of record on this case, but they were still retained by the state at the time the case was filed. I don't know who wrote the complaint, who had the final approval over it. I don't think we'll ever get an answer to whose fault it was that this mistake was made in the original complaint. Well, and, and arguably, you know, as Harry Truman said, the buck stops here. I mean, the buck, I mean, at some point, it becomes the attorney general's responsibility. And I, the lawsuit was So alleging, we don't know how much – we obviously don't know what – I mean, what direct role or indirect role he had in all of mm -hmm. this and, and what papers he saw or didn't see. So. And the, the lawsuit – well, and, and Kobach's office has alleged that there was poor communication from the law firm – uh, so, I mean, it, if if the attorney general is correct in the allegations of uh, poor performance by the outside counsel, then that then he might be right that it's their fault. Uh, but I would imagine the law firm will say otherwise. Yeah, that the law firm said that if they had been retained, they would have won the case. Uh, and the case was alleging that McQuarrie caused at least $50 million worth of excess costs in that natural gas price spike. Uh, and those prices have been passed along to customers for us to pay for the next decade. Yeah. Uh, so the, the intent was to get at least some of the money and be able to reduce – our collective utility bills. Uh, and there's a chance that that could still happen. The federal judge uh, 
basically invited the AG's office to refile the case. But it is unclear if there is a statute of limitations barring any or all of the claims. Uh, I asked both sides that and didn't really get a so direct answer. It's it's possible that consumers will be done paying their surcharges after a decade before there's any answer to these questions of whether Macquarie is liable for anything. Well, the state does have a new law firm. Uh, the law firm uh, Hilgers Graben out of Nebraska, it was co-founded by the current Nebraska Attorney General. Uh, that law firm had it, – it, its contract became public late last week, but it was signed the day after the judge's ruling, I believe. Uh, and perhaps they will be able to refile the case. Uh after correcting the mistake, I guess that we'll be waiting to see if that happens or not. Yeah. Yeah. Will they file it in Shawnee County again or will they file it in federal court? That is a great question and we'll have to be watching. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, those, they could take quite a while to wend its way through the court system, obviously. It's big yeah. and complicated and, and there I will probably be appeals. And John, you know, the first day that I saw this, the, the the judge's ruling come down, I went into your office and asked if you uh, had known of any Kobach court defeats since he became AG. And I, I, couldn't, mean, I couldn't remember yeah, one. I mean, people who have followed Kansas politics for the past decade can think of Kobach victories and defeats, but – since becoming AG, it's been a string of victories, most notably on the transgender cases. Yeah, the transgender, uh, whether transgender people are allowed by the state to change their birth certificates or driver's licenses to reflect uh, their gender identities. And uh, so far, he has prevailed uh, both uh, on birth certificates and driver's license, federal and, and state courts. But so if if you're keeping track, maybe it's a Kobach three, non Kobach one. Well, well, I mean, you know, obviously a lot will depend on what happens if they refile this case, where they refile it, what happens to it. Right, and I mean, all uh, those cases all will have appellate steps to go through, and we're still waiting on. Uh, probably one of the first cases, one of the first major cases his office argued, the abortion case. Yeah. Um, yes, the the new abortion law. That is, wow, I, I just blanked. That is, that is the, um, the, uh, the abortion medication law. Well, and even before that, back I think in, was it February, the Solicitor General uh, had to go before the Kansas Supreme Court. Yeah, there are several. There are several of the laws. There are several old laws that have never been enforced uh, from the Brownback administration. Laws that he signed in 2011 and 2015 that are before the Kansas Supreme Court, and we've yet to see a uh, ruling on whether those laws are constitutional. This is a new law that requires 
uh, abortion providers to tell their patients that a medication abortion can be stopped after you begin it using uh, a, a regimen that um, major medical groups that deal with abortion don't think is proven. They would say it's, it's uh, unproven and potentially unsafe. Unproven and potentially unsafe. Those uh, might be the side effects of listening to too much chilling in the state house. Oh no 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 no! You come. We're award winning, Jason. Yeah, uh, I, I I hope that we uh, did not overburden listeners who uh, have gone what two months, three months. I, I imagine there might be some. Yeah, there might be. I don't think it's been quite that long. I, I think it's two months. Two months. Well, we had you had like you had to learn how to use the software and all yeah, of that. Yeah, right? I, I I thought that I had requested the software, uh, but it wasn't until double checking after uh, a conversation with one of our listeners, uh, I went and checked and realized that our internal software licensing request system was kind of like a purchase, like a like buying from Amazon. Or something where you you put it into your shopping cart, but then you need to check out, and I never hit check out, so uh, it was my own fault. That well, anyway, we do we do, we do have the software now, and we are we are back podcasting and and you know wanting to in inform readers. I wonder uh, readers, listeners. I wonder if there are any listeners who went through the DTS. Um, because they didn't have their chilling in the state house dose. Yeah, I. Well, if you do uh, need your chilling in the state house doses, there are plenty of back podcasts. Oh yes, uh, and you can. And you want to listen yeah, to them? You do, and I mean, I believe they're on. Apple Play and Spotify. I don't really know the full list because this was something that Andrew uh, always yeah, listed Spot, off. Spot, Spotify, yes. I, I think uh, Apple and Google Play, I think, is one. I, Andrew always said wherever fine podcasts are found. And we are a fine podcast. Yes, yes. So, Jason, if somebody wanted to read your work online, where would they go? You would go to www.cjonline.com or you can find me on X at Jason underscore Alatid. And I am on X at, at, at APJD Hanna. That's H-A-N-N-A. If you want to find my work, it's apnews.com backslash author backslash my name. With a hyphen between John and Hannah. Yes, yes. And that's where you can find my stuff. Uh, and there has been plenty more that has happened in state government and politics over the past two months. Uh, much of it we have written about. And you can find our stories there. And hopefully there will be good news soon on a third co-host. Well, that that would be nice. I can't wait to meet this new person. Same. I mean, I, I have talked to them, but... Yes, you've been sweating a lot. It's I, not been particularly chill for you. Yeah, it, it, it's been a busy time of year for one person. But then again, you've been making it look easy just being just one person uh, for the entire oh, year. Oh, well, thank you. But um, I, I don't know what to say to that, Jason. 
that you have many years of experience and know what you're doing? <laughs> well, now I guess some people would argue about whether I know what I'm doing, but I think I do a little the, anyway. The, the Kansas Newspaper Hall of Fame thinks so too. Well, uh, thank you for mentioning that, but we are award-winning. We, we are award-winning. And you, the listeners, are award-winning to us. Yes. You're award-winning in our hearts. And until next time, have a good one. Stay chill. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.